Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. I had it on my heart a couple of months ago, actually, to do a series on joy and happiness, and we figured what better month to do that in than in the month of November where we are celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, And so that's exactly what we're going to do. During this season, we're going to talk about a recipe for happiness, the ingredients you need to live a happy, joy-filled life. Uh, Why recipe for happiness? Because we know a lot of you will be cooking. And as a pastor, I get to partake in these things. See, I love this season because people bring me food. Like, as a pastor, this is true, people bring me food all the time uh, as a pastor, but never more so than in the months of November and December. And last week, ladies and gentlemen, someone brought me a sweet potato pie. Oh, come on, somebody. Raise your hand if you like sweet potato. Do we have any? Okay. Raise your hand if you like pumpkin. Which one do you, okay, so more pumpkin than sweet potato or more sweet potato than pumpkin? Where are we at here at the Lakeland campus? Sweet potato, okay, kind of took the left-hand side. Uh, so out of that, there was like a hint of, of like a coconut it tasted like or something like that in the sweet. I kid you not, my tongue wanted to slap my brains out. It was like, what is this piece of heaven uh, that is in my mouth right now? So we knew so many of you would be cooking, so we came up with just kind of the fun title of a recipe for happiness. But I really want to give you the ingredients for that, and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna lay out what that looks like. Uh, But today, I wanna talk about happiness in general and set the stage for the rest of the series. Um, And I just wanna ask you a simple question. Uh, Those of you watching online, Highland Colony here at Lakeland, are you happy? And you don't have to answer that, but I really want you to ask yourself that. Are you happy? Uh, In scripture, uh, we see happiness has ranges from like hilarity, where you're laughing out loud, to calm delight. Uh, So it it doesn't have to be like where you're just, uh, you know, celebrating. Uh, Joy can be just something that is calm and delighting in you in the season that you're in. Uh, But are you happy? And is happiness even something we should strive to be? Like in the middle of a world that is just filled with pain and suffering and death and heartache, like is this something that's even obtainable? Uh, Is this something that we can be? Um, I want to begin this with the book of John, so you can turn with me uh, to the, the big book of John. I call it Big John. You have little Johns in the back of the Bible. We're going to Big John, John chapter 16. Um, And as you're turning, I I did some research on happiness, and I saw this study from the University of Chicago, which highlighted happiness and was kind of just seeing, like, right now, like, during COVID, we all know we've been under a little stress and a little tension, and there's been a lot of things going in our world politically and, you know, internationally even, and then, of course, COVID and all the chaos and death that it has brought, and so they wanted to study happiness, and the reason why was because they're seeing suicide rates go up, antidepressant use going up, uh, depression going up, 
uh, panic attacks going up, that they've noticed it seems like the world really is unhappy right now, and they wanted to kind of look at the the study behind that. And here's what they found out. The University of Chicago found out that only 14% of Americans are happy. Right now, in America, only 14% of Americans uh, would respond yes to are you happy? Are you happy, yes or no? 14% said yes, 86% said no. Um, They found out this was saddening to me. I'm like, reading this report is making me sad. Um, Only 29% of Americans have ever called themselves very happy. So they asked them, like, are you very happy? Uh, And the answer is no. And they're like, well, have you ever been? Have you ever been, like, in a, a period of life where you would say you have been very happy? And right now, only 29% of Americans can remember a time in their life where they would look back on it and say, you know, in that season of life, I was very happy. Um, They found that this was not just something that was going on during COVID. So like, of course, from 2019 to 2021, when this COVID kind of entered into our world and we had this shaking politically and in every other way, uh, that of course, it would make sense that most of us experienced a dip in happiness but they found that the rate of happiness declined from 2008 all the way to 2019. So this was not something that was recent. Uh, For the past several decades, as a society as a whole, we have been getting less happy. Uh, And we are seeing the ramifications of that, of domestic abuse is going up. A suicide among young people is going up. Now we have all this, you know, whistleblowers coming out on Facebook and talking about, like, even how with social media, like, we know it's making us sadder. Like, we know that we have more technology than ever before, more prosperity than ever before, but it's not working. Like, something is broken. People don't know how to be happy. We know that we should be. We know that it would probably be good to be. We know many times that we're blessed, but it's like, are you genuinely happy? And the answer to a lot of people, 86%, was no. I'm sure for, for me and you, the answer would not be no. I pray it would be yes, but sometimes it's like a mixture of yes and no. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes it's like, depends. Like, <laughs> what season of life are we kind of in? And I get that because I'm human, uh, and I face my share of struggles and have had my, my past littered with some victories, of course, but some with the, some defeats as well. And so, like, I, I know over the course of time, like, sometimes it would make sense of, like, well, yes, I have been happy, but then there'd be other times where I would look at it and be like, no, or, like, there are moments in life where it's like, no, I'm not happy, and how could I be when I've got this going on with this family member or this going on at school? Uh, But the Bible teaches us to literally, in the times where it's not going bad, to find joy in those times. Uh, That even when we have various kinds of tests and trials hitting us, and I think that's just so interesting and so true, that tests and trials can vary. Uh, Like sometimes they are financial, but then sometimes it's like, what's going on with this child is really testing my faith. Uh, like it's testing my patience, it's, 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 it's taxing my uh, forgiveness, like it's, it's testing me on every sphere of life. Uh, and the Bible says that in these moments of testing that are varying, to find joy there, to count it all joy. And I, I find this very interesting, but also in my own personal journey to actually live out that scripture and not just te- teach it, I have also found it uh, sort of elusive. 
that like I know I was made for Eden, a place where the lion lays down with the lamb and like a place where I'm seeing the goodness of God. But also I would not be uh, honest if I said as a pastor, I don't see immense pain. Uh, Like situations that will just break your heart and sit in an office and read an email or, or read something that just honestly affects my soul in a deep way. And like I know scripturally, like I am to even in this moment find joy. Uh, but at the same time, my question to the Lord has been how? How, how do you find joy in this? Like when you see of what's, what our world has gone through and what people are going through and, and not just the world, but people in the world who I know personally, like how do you find joy in this? And, and why do we count it joy? All of these types of things. And so today I wanna give you three facts from scripture about joy. So let's dive in if you're taking notes. Number one, God wants you happy. Like, this is, this is good news, uh, and the reason why it's good news, if God wants it, he's going to give you power to get it. Uh, so there's nothing God wants for you that he's not going to empower you to find. And, and throughout Scripture, we see the spiritual narrative of God wanting his children, you and me, to honestly be happy. Uh, scriptures to back this up, you're in John. Let's look at John chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse number 24. This is our Lord Jesus talking. And watch what he says here in verse 24. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. He says, up till now, or King James says it, hitherto, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Now notice this next part. This just blesses me so much. I've got it underlined and I, I honestly look at it in awe. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So here Jesus is is teaching on prayer, and he says, up till this point, you've just asked God for things, but now I'm telling you when you pray and you ask God for things to do so in my name. And he says, I want you to do this in my name, and you will receive, and it's like, well, why? And Jesus doesn't respond, like, because the world will change, or this will cure, like, major issues in your life. He's like, you know, if all it did was make your joyful, I'm game. Well, somebody says, well, uh, if if God answered all of your prayers, what would change in the world? And I think that's a valid question. Like, if God answered all of your prayers today, uh, how different would the world look? I think that's very good. And I get the point of what people are asking for is to elicit us to pray for, like, big things and ask God to do big things. And we have a God who wants to do that and a God who wants to work in the Middle East and, and solve world hunger. We have a God who wants to do that. So we ought to pray for those things. But God says, not only do I want to do that, he's like I'm game if it just would give you more joy like if this would help your joy be full I'm in Uh, last night me and my family we sat down uh, to have just a family meal and to just celebrate uh, what God was doing in our life so my wife made vegetable soup Uh, I'm thankful to live in the south for the cuisine alone anybody else know what I'm talking about with that like right don't we have the best cooks in all the world like right here uh, in uh, our local area like it is amazing the recipes and creativity that comes out on the food scene the Jackson food scene is tremendously underrated by the way I've gone all over the world we've got some of the best right here in Jackson 
But anyway, my wife made this vegetable soup, and come on somebody, cornbread. Think the sweet kind, right? The sweet kind. Anybody else know what I'm talking about when I say the sweet kind of cornbread? Just a massive pan. I can't wait to get home. Uh, But out of that, uh, just a massive pan of cornbread, and we're sitting there enjoying this meal, and I'm looking at my kids and just in awe. I'm happy, genuinely happy. I'm in awe of what God is doing with my children children and uh, in my family. And, and so I, I asked my kids this question. I'm like, what do you want for Christmas? And uh, they began to like say some things. And anyway, this morning I woke up and I, I was just meditating on this message for my own devotional. And the Lord said, did you notice what you asked last night? And I'm like, yeah, what, what they want for Christmas. He's like, why did you ask that? I said, well, because I want to give them what they want. It's like, so that their joy may be full. It's not about them getting the gift, it's about their joy. And God is like, in in your own life, like I, I know that you want some things, but I want you to know why you want those things, is I want your joy full, so I'm game. Uh, in the book of Revelations, it builds this out even more. And in Revelations, John, the revelator, is seeing heaven and the life after this one. And, and he's seeing this moment where God is with his people. And I, I want you to see the very first thing God does when he gets with you. Like the very first thing God is going to do when he sees you, John sees it here, and watch this in Revelation 21 21 and verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, meaning they're dwelling together, they're living together. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And when he sees you, watch what he's going to do. This blessed me when I read it. Watch what God's going to do when he sees you. And God will wipe away all tears from your eyes. Every one of them. Wipe away all the tears from your eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Have you ever seen like, um, like a, a movie where like the couple really loved each other and like something happened and they're crying and the other one comes like out of this just sweetest embrace of love to like wipe the tears away from their eyes. Just out of the sweetest of love wanting to take the pain away. And God looks at us on this world and it breaks his heart because he sees a world that is very painful. He, he sees a, wor- a world where there is so much death and sorrow and crying and so much pain that it leads to all these tears. And he's like, you need to know something. I'm creating a heaven, and the first thing that I do when I see you is I'm gonna wipe the tears away from your eyes. Because I, I know that, that the Lord sees us. Like, I, I, I was writing in my journal months ago, like, with the, with the election cycle and, like, all those types of things, and in my own just quiet reflection, I was just meditating on Noah And how when God looked at the hearts of the men and women in Noah's days, it says every one of their imaginations was filled with violence. And I I just looked at the world that we see uh, and this world that's around us and and how almost, almost all of this violence is fueled out of some type of pain. And, and how God the Father is seeing that, and he's like, if I could just get my hands on you, what I want for you is joy. 
What I want for you is to take away your pain and to, to bless your heart, that your joy is full, that you have a joy that is contagious and a joy that is consuming. Like, I just can't wait to get my hands on you so I can wipe away your tears and I can heal your hurts and alleviate your pain. And here's what I know about God, that just as it's done in heaven, so does God want it done on earth, that this is not just something God wants to to do in the sweet by and by, like when we all get to glory, but this is something like even now in your life, God wants to come and wipe away the tears from your eyes and to give you joy. Isaiah the prophet saw the day and age we're living in right now, and watch what he says in Isaiah 61 and verse number three, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and they will be called trees of righteousness that are planted in God. But notice this, if I go back up to the first part of this verse, uh, notice a spirit of heaviness, that there is a spirit of heaviness. So I, I know like in the natural when we deal with like sadness and grief and sorrow and anxiety and like all of those types of things, that we look at all these natural things we could take or these natural things we could adjust to alleviate um, this heaviness. But the Bible says that it's not just natural. You have to understand this. It's not just natural. There's a spirit of heaviness. And he said, out of this, I see it on my people. I I see a world where literally in our world right now, fear is monetized. Uh, like through the, the rate of information and ad clicks and all of these things, we have a world that can monetize fear. So the more fearful you are, the more money people make uh, and all those types of things that a, a world is literally pressing anxiety and fear and heaviness and be concerned and be alarmed and be alerted by all of these types of things. And a lot of it is followed with by, and listen to us more, or, you know, take this next. Uh, here's your next step to be a leave from this fear. And when you get a leave from that one, and here's another one, you know, all those types of things. And God says, I know these things are there. It's a spirit of heaviness. And he says, but in the middle of a spirit of heaviness, I want to give you a garment of praise, and I want to anoint your head with joy. This is our God. God wants you happy, and the reason why is point number two, when you look at it from Scripture, is this. Point number two, they'll put it up on the screens. It's unhealthy to be unhappy for extended periods of time. It's unhealthy to be unhappy. It's unhealthy to be unhappy. Uh, you know, I, I know when we think about happiness, it almost comes across as uh, luxury. In fact, a number of years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart in a time of prayer and corrected me. And he said, uh, Joel, you uh, are treating joy like it's a luxury. If you have it, great. Uh, but if you don't have it, it's okay. You don't really need it. And I'm like, well, I don't really understand what you, you mean. Like, I'm not sad. Uh, And typically in my life, I can't ever remember a time when I was like overly sad. Even when my father passed away, uh, for most men, when they get sad, they get angry. Um, And so sadness was not something I could relate to uh, because men are oftentimes trained not to show sadness because sadness is weakness. And so they actually get more aggressive when they're sad, but it's not really anger. It's sadness masked as anger. And so to fix it, it's not like, don't be angry. It's like, come here, I know you're hurting. Uh, When you see an angry man, it's a hurting man. 
Uh, and so out of that, like, when in looking at all these types of things, I began to, like, examine my own life, and I began to, like, kind of state my case of being like, no, God, like, I'm not sad, and I'm not even angry. And he's like, I know, you're serious. I'm like, well, sometimes you need to be serious. <laughs> Let's get serious in this conversation right now. Like, sometimes you need to be serious. Like, we need to pl- quit playing games around here and let's get our act together uh, and get serious. This, uh, and God, like, dealt with me. He's like, where do you see scripture for that? It's like the foundation of your life, it has to be joy. Uh, and out of this, like, when you get serious, you get dangerous. That's often times where you resort to the arm of the flesh to course correct something in children or course correct something in business or course correct something in life. Like out of this, when you get serious, it's often when you get dangerous. You can take the same action, but when it comes from a a soul that is based in joy and based in peace, that out of it, the fruit of what it's produced is different. And it's not that in life you don't need to address any of these issues, yes, but you address them from a place of peace and joy and not from a place of seriousness. I thought this was very interesting because the Bible teaches us there's power in joy. And on the flip side of there being power in joy, there is absolutely destructive characteristics in anything that is not joy. Uh, The Bible teaches us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17 and verse 22, it says, a happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing, but a broken spirit, it dries the bones. Uh, What this word medicine means, you know, the King James says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. What this word medicine means is literally to, to bring healing and a cure. It's like, well, well, something is broken, It needs a fix, and God's like, I know a fix, a merry heart. Well, it's like our family right now is is kind of broken, and there's division, and God's like, there is something that will fix it. What is it? Somebody needs a merry heart. Um, That oftentimes what it doesn't need is more correction. What it needs is more joy, and joy is the correction. Oh, come on, somebody. Um, That what cures things is a merry heart brings correction. It brings curing. A merry heart does good like a medicine. But a broken spirit, it literally dries the bones. Uh, A broken spirit is unhealthy. Uh, A broken spirit is something that begins uh, to be where your spirit, what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. You're unhealthy spiritually when you're having to constantly reach for those things. You're constantly having to reach for joy, and it's a little elusive. You're having to reach for love, and it it feels a little, that's a broken spirit. And when you get in a place where a spirit is broken, out of that, what happens is it begins to dry the bones. Literally, what the connotation here is like, when joy is, is firm, it's like a river that is flowing to every arena of life that is bringing healing and life to all it touches, But if you set a river out in a season where it's just very dry and it's very burning, that 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 dryness begins to, like a hot sun, evaporate all that joy. So much so that the riverbed runs so dry that it begins to crack, break, and divide. And, and, And there are seasons of life where it seems like joy is running and we have it there and it's a great thing. But then a season comes in where it's just very hot and it's laborsome and it's burdensome and it begins to slowly take away our joy. 
until finally we're so dry and there and there's been no water there a long time that we feel a breaking, we feel things cracking, and we feel a division. And I had this so big in my heart, the second service, a division between the things that we love and the people that we love. And there were things that when we did them, they used to just like be a source of life to us. And people that when we were around them, like we got a source of life from that. But we've been in such a barren season for so long that out of that we have begun to crack and divide where there's a separation between the things and the people that I love. And out of that I can feel it and so can they. And what's happened is joy has been taken and it's become dangerous. Like, and when I say dangerous, I use that word on purpose because in the New Testament it tells us this in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow, and this is important, your Bible does not exaggerate, worldly sorrow brings death. Uh, so godly sorrow, it's like God speaks to my heart, a change or an adjustment that I need to make. And I, I feel like in a service, like I need to address this in my life. And repentance just means I, I take my life in a different direction. And that's good. It leads to salvation. But he says there is a sorrow that's not of God, a sorrow that comes from the world. And what is it? It is always, without fail, heavy. And it will result in a suicidal spirit. It will resort and result in a spirit that brings separation and a pushing away of people and life and health. When, when I was studying Samson, we just got done talking about him last week, Samson hated himself. And out of that, you see this man with all, the most powerful man in the world. Like you can get no more powerful than Samson. Miserable. He knows he's doing things that are breaking him. He knows he's doing things that are hurting him, and he doesn't care because he has no joy. And, and out of this, he results in this life that is breaking. He plays with the sorrow of this world, and it worked death in his life. The same thing happened with Solomon. Solomon was the richest man in all the world. There was uh, uh, no amount of riches that he did not have. And it's so funny how people think, if I had more power or I had more riches, then I'd be happy. And you've got the most powerful man who ever walked the world, and you've got the, most, the richest man who ever walked the world, and both of them were miserable human beings. Uh, because it was not something that was out here that they needed more of. It was something in here that needed to be fixed. The sorrow of the world works death. And like oftentimes, like when our kids are little, we see them playing with things that they don't understand. And it's like, you don't need to play near the gun case. Or you don't need to play with the knife. Or you don't need to play with fire. Or you don't need to play in the street. Because we see they are playing with things that are absolutely destructive. And God looks down at his children and he's like, you are playing with sorrow. And you are playing with something that in your mind you can't see the danger in it. But I have watched humanity for thousands of years and I have seen that all those who play with sorrow and make excuses as to why this is the season they can have it in their life are playing with something that brings death. Like C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven because the joy of the Lord, it is your strength. Meaning, when there is no joy, everything is weak. 
When there's no joy in a family, it's a weak family. When there's no joy in a marriage, it's a weak marriage. When there's no joy in a church, it's a weak church. But the joy of the Lord, it is our strength. And so we have to come to this place where it can't be this elusive thing anymore that one day we hope we will be happy. But we have the capacity and we have the ability to choose happiness and even count it all joy in the middle of tests and trials. Which brings us to point number three. Uh, for those of you taking notes, number three, you can be happy. Uh, you, you can come to this place where you can be happy. And this is the absolute crux of this series is, okay, Pastor Joel, I get it. Joy is serious. I don't need to be unhappy. It works death. But how? how? How do you get happy when you're in the middle of, of COVID? How do you get happy when uh, you, you've just had heartache happen with a child? How do you get happy when you know people who are, are hurting How do you get happy when you're hurting? How do you count it all joy in the middle of tests and trials? And I think that's such a valid question, and it's it's something that I have been wrestling in my own life with. And so out of that, I actually uh, wrote this this sermon series based off of that. A couple of months ago, I was uh, going through my employees' 15 fives, and I have about 10 direct reports of employees who report directly to me. And out of that, I have a software entitled 15.5, which gives me like quick thoughts and things that I'm asking them, like, what are your metrics? And what are we doing about these things? What are your plans? Like that kind of thing. But one of the questions I ask them is, how are you growing in this season? Because I know life doesn't grow above us. If I want life to grow, I must grow. If I want the church to grow, me and the employees of the church must grow. And so I want to know how they're growing because I want their life to grow and I want the ministry to keep making an impact. So I asked them that question, like, what are you reading? What are you studying? What are you meditating on? And our online pastor, Pastor John Romnick, who I just love, he's someone who's just joyful and it's helped me with my joy, which is interesting. That's one of the things Paul said is there are people in your life who are helpers of your joy. Uh, So you need that. You need helpers of your joy. And John is one of those things for me. And he wrote about, in his 15.5, about something called the triangle of happiness. And he kind of explained it, and they'll put it up on the screens. And when he explained it, I'm like, you know, that's good. And it intrigued me. Uh, So much so that I began to study it and meditate on it. But basically, the, the thought process of the triangle of happiness is if you have these three things in your life, it equals happy. And if one of these things are missing or broken, or all of them are, it equals you being unhappy. And I went through of 19 years of pastoring, and I thought about all the people that I've met who are happy. I'm like, you know what? They have all three things. And then I thought all the people in my, in my pastoral career who have been unhappy, I'm like, one of those things or all of those things was missing. And here's what the triangle of happiness is, relationships. Now, it's not just relationship, it's relationships, because here what I'm talking about is your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and one of the most overlooked ones, your relationship with yourself. Samson hated himself. He's very unhappy. Um, Because when you are not right with yourself, when you are not right with God, and when you are not right with others, you have shame, you have sorrow, you have regret, you have unforgiveness, you have bitterness, and all those are thieves to your happiness. 
Uh, so we're going to talk about relationships. You can go back up. Um, so we're going to talk about relationships. Then we're going to talk about security. So some people, they have relationships. They've got good relationships with others. They're at peace with themselves and God. But something begins to threaten their security. Um, before, they were secure in their own body. They trusted it. It worked well. And then something happened medically where it's like, I can't trust this anymore. And something took that physical security out of their heart. And they began to be anxious and afraid at a prognosis or something that they heard in a doctor's office or something they were feeling in their body. And so the physical security left their heart and anxiety replaced it. Care and concern replaced it. For others, it was financial security. It was like everything was fine. We had more income than we had outgo, fine. But then you came to a situation of life where maybe the business deal didn't happen uh, or maybe you got laid off or maybe you were just bad <laughs> and got in a lot of debt because you really wanted it and 365 easy payments turned out to not be as quite as easy as you thought they would be. Uh, and out of that, it affected your, your happiness because now you have anxiety and you have fear and what ifs and all those types of things. So when you're not secure, it equals a lack of happiness. And then the last one, and we'll talk about that one next week, is purpose. Uh, that life is designed to be poured out uh, and meaning and adding value to someone's life, that my life is making a difference and do I really matter? Like, okay, I have my health, but does it even matter? Uh, I have relationships, but am I making a difference? Like, this component is bigger than you think. Uh, and so out of these things, we're going to discuss over the next three, three weeks each one of these things, and some of them will be multi-sided and incorporate all three, but I want to invite you to come with us on this journey of happiness because happiness and joy, it is the serious business of heaven. I'll close with this story, and this was just something that kind of brought this to light for me. I'll let you go after this. Uh, for this message series, so far, I've read about four books, and in one of the, the chapters, there was this guy who was a lawyer who was telling this story. It's very successful, um, but also a man of, of morals and things like that, and so every night, he would end his day with sitting on his front porch with his wife, weather permitting, uh, and just sitting there rocking, talking, watching people as they walked by. Uh, they lived on the ocean, so behind them was the ocean. In front of him was his neighborhood. I'm like, I want to be you when I grow up. But anyway, um, you know, just this, this, this perfect little kind of setup, and people would walk by and just wave, and he would wave at them. And he noticed that there was this one kid one day who stood in front of his house. He'd seen him before, and they had waved. But on this one particular day, he just stood there and kept waving. This kid, young guy in his 20s, just waving. Uh, at him and his wife on the front porch. And he's like, that's weird. And he began to like get a little concerned. Like once again, security, when security is, is leaving, so is happiness. Uh, and he's like, you know, why won't this kid just keep going, like walking? And so he's like, well, maybe you want something. So he gets off the front porch and he walks down to the sidewalk. And this kid says sheepishly, said, hey, my name is Ryan. And he said, um, you know, I walk by your house all the time. And I've got a girlfriend, and I want to ask her to marry me. And I thought the perfect place to do it would be your backyard. And you wave all the time, which I thought means that you're a nice guy. And it wouldn't hurt to ask if I could use your backyard to ask my, my girlfriend if she would marry me. 
And he thought that was strange, you know, that this stranger would ask him. But he's like, you know, why not? I remember being young and in love. And if I can help somebody else on that journey, he seems like a nice guy. He said, sure. Ryan, sure. You can use my backyard. Just get me a date. And Ryan ran off super happy. Well, he kept waiting for Ryan to come back with a date. So he's sitting out there with his wife. And sure enough, a couple of nights later, Ryan comes back up. And he thinks Ryan's going to give him the date. But instead of that, Ryan says sheepishly again, you know, in a nice way, but in an excited way. He's like, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful you said we could, you know, use your backyard to, you know, get engaged. But he said, you know, what would be an engagement without dinner? And so what I was wondering is, is there any way we could have dinner on your back porch first? Uh, And then after dinner, uh, you know, then I could ask her to marry me. He's like, you know what, Ryan? Sure, sure. We can can have dinner there. And he's like, and, you know, I think it would be great if like friends and family were there and like they served us dinner and they were there with us to kind of like share in this moment. And he's nervous and asking, he's also excited. And so like that kind of thing. And he's like, could friends and family like come and serve us the meal and then be there like for the excitement and things? He's like, okay, Ryan, like how many people are you thinking? He said, I don't know, maybe 20. And, and this guy was like, I am not letting 20 random people, I have no idea, come in my house. But he's like, you know what, you know, fine. Yes, yes, 20 people can come and you can have dinner on the back porch and you can absolutely get married in my backyard, why not? And let's just make it happen. So a couple of days later, he sees Ryan again. He thinks he, Ryan's coming to give him the date, like when this is gonna go down and when this is gonna happen. And Ryan said, okay, I know you've agreed to a lot, but here's what I was thinking, that it would be great if we could like celebrate after the occasion. So I'm thinking friends and family are there. They serve us dinner. We eat dinner. And then in the backyard, we dance. Like, so is there any way you could have like some speakers out there uh, where we could have some music and then we could dance? He's like, I'm seeing it all in my head. And that's a lot for me to ask. Was there any way? He's like, Yes, Ryan, I will have you speakers and, and we will honestly, uh, you know, wrap this all up. No worries. And Ryan looks at him, he's like, and by the way, is that your boat <laughs> out there in the water? Like, is that your boat in the boathouse? And he's like, yes, Ryan. He's like, that is my boat. He's like, why do you ask? And he said, well, here's what I'm thinking. Like, let's change the plan. We come over, we have dinner, family serves us. Then after the dinner, family and friends dance with us. We dance. Then I get out on the boat with family and friends standing on the shore and they in the middle of the night and like these types of things, I ask her to marry me. And he's like, okay, Ryan, you can have the boat, but I'm driving. That's the only thing I'll ask is that I drive. So the night came, they set a date, the night comes. And the lady walks with the the young man. She just thinks they're taking a walk. And he stops and he says, and we're going to have dinner here. She's like, what do you mean we're going to have dinner here? Do you even know these people? He's like, yes, I know these people. Uh, and he walks her back to the back and all her friends and family are there and they have a, a meal and they're sharing dinner and fellowship and that type of thing. And she knows something's up. You know, there's that nervous kind of excitement and energy in the room and uh, that kind of thing. And they walk out and they celebrate and they dance and all the friends and family are watching the couple dance and just kind of having this moment. And then he grabs her hand and he takes her to the boat where the lawyer guy's waiting on the boat and they, they go out to the shore. He's getting ready to propose, but what he doesn't know is that the lawyer guy's taken a little liking to Ryan, and he has worked it out where his friends and family will light with candles, will you marry me in the sand? 
And then he called the Coast Guard and pulled in a favor where he got the, the Coast Guard and the, the fire ship that you know, comes out with like the, the fire truck ship that comes out with all the water cannons on it and that kind of thing. So that when she got down on one knee and said yes to his request, will you marry me, that all the water cannons went off like all around them. And it was like, you know, New Year's Day, like just this huge kind of moment. There's water going everywhere and candles and it's romantic. And, and they got engaged. And he wrote in the, 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 the book, and I thought this was just such a good point. He said, Ryan was not the only one who got engaged that night. He said, what I noticed is that over the course of like pouring my life into making his dreams come true, I actually got engaged as well. Engaged in life. And he said, out of that, I just saw and this joy and this happiness just kind of fill me that I had not sensed in quite some time because isn't that the way life is meant to be lived, engaged? And God wants you to have a, an amazing engaged life. Like it's so funny, I, I'll pull couples aside and I'll ask them, I'm like, what have other people told you about marriage? And they start, listening. well, it's hard, and you know, you, you've got to die to sell, <laughs> like all of these other types of things. And then, you know, I, they'll ask me, well, what do you think about marriage? I say, well, yeah, all those things are true. But it's also romantic. It's passionate, it's wonderful. It's exciting, it's adventurous. What do you think about parenting? It's, it's really beautiful. Why can't we live engaged? The other, I, I read this chapter, and the other day I actually was doing premarital counseling, and this couple came in, and I'm like, you know, a lot of times you can just go through the motions, or you can be engaged. And so, like, I, I pulled him aside, and I, I really poured my soul into that, and we had a moment of prayer at the end, and God's Spirit just filled the air. And it wasn't just a prayer, but I was engaged in the prayer, and the Holy Spirit began to work, and I could sense his presence in the room, engaged. Then I went to lunch, and at lunch I was sitting there just like any other lunch, and I was sitting there with a couple of friends and people, and we were talking about some plans and talking about some things we were going to do, and I look up, and there's this joyous guy standing in front of me. He's probably like 6'4". He's our waiter, and just this massive man, and he said his name was Freddie. I'm like, Freddie, it's nice to meet you. But the whole time I couldn't get Freddie off my heart because I was engaged in that. I knew something was wrong with Freddie, and at the end I said, I'm a pastor, and I want to pray for you. What can I pray with you for? He started talking about how his brother has COVID and pneumonia, and he's actually in a hospital here fighting for his life. And God met Freddie and, and had a moment. I walked away feeling joy. See, all around us are opportunities to engage, to get off of our phones and interact with a child, to, to get off of television and, and look into the eyes of our spouse, to take a walk with a friend, to really engage God in prayer, and like the psalmist, pour out our heart before the Lord. See, all of these moments are chances to come alive, are, are chances to like dive into the resources of our soul and allow love and adventure to flow, that these things should act, act, actually be the rule instead of the exception to the rule. I think so often times we so lower our expectations instead of coming in and believing that Jesus really is able to give us a, a joy and a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that is overflowing. That Jesus said, I came that you might have life 
to the full until it overflows and we settle for survival and making it. Living but never really engaged. And my, cur- my, uh, my, my courageous ask is for, for you to really dive into this series and to make a decision to live life to the full till it overflows. That even in the middle of tests and trials, that you could count it all joy to the extent that even when you face the Goliaths in your life, it is not from a platform of seriousness, care, or concern, but you approach Goliath with a firm joy in your heart and a calm delight in your soul because you know when you face him, you are not alone. That you have a God who wants your joy full, not just in the best of times, but in the worst of times as well. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you today for each and every person. And I thank you, Father, that you, you help us get to a place of joy. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Ryan at Highland Colony. We love you, church, so much. I'm going to turn our online service over to our online campus pastors and allow them to close out the service today. For everyone here at Lakeland, I'm going to close this out. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Joel, you know what? I want to come alive. I, I want to come to a place where, where I, am, I am breathing again in a real way that is truly engaged in life. That I want the Holy Spirit to make dry bones live again. And maybe you have gone through a season where you have been very broken and dry and like the hot sun has just been beating down on your joy and you have felt that cracking and you have felt that breaking and you have felt that separation from the things that you love and the people you love. And what you want today is for God to unleash a joy in your life that just washes away those cracks and fills in every divide and makes life sweet and flowing again. That instead of you having to force life down this dry riverbed, you are flowing in the river of the Spirit that can only bring the joy it can. And if you would just like to open your life unto that and just surrender your life to that and invite God into that dry heart or that dry season, if that's you today, you just want to surrender to the Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you just lift up your hand and surrender? Amen. All over the room. Just all over, and this is not just a salvation prayer. This is like, God, I want joy. <laughs> I want uh, God to come in and fill in everything that is broken. A big phrase in my heart has been a repairer of the breach, that something has breached your heart and life has been leaking, and you want to invite God to repair that breach. Amazing. Hands going up all over the place. Let me pray for you. Let's all just open up our hands and expect to receive something from the Lord today. Father, I thank you that you meet with us us here in Jesus' name. With hands opened and hearts surrendered, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you as your child, and I thank you that there is joy that is flowing like a river in my heart. No more dry season, no more brokenness, 
no more cracks. Heavenly Father, you are a repairer of the breach, and I thank you, Lord, that every breach in my heart that has been leaking joy, that Father, right now, you go to work on it. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you are mending my heart, restoring my soul, that my laughter is real again, that there's a spirit of singing and rejoicing in my heart. And Father, I thank you that you are turning the captivity in Jesus' name. Father, today I surrender to your will and to your plan. Holy Spirit, guide my life, have your perfect way. And I say, this is the beginning of the best days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.